This is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I'm Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And our special guest for today, Ashling Walsh. Hello. So, Ashling, are you able to briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? I'm uh, I'm a director and writer, film and television director and writer, um, living in London but from Dublin. And I have just recently made a film for BBC One called Elizabeth is Missing with uh, Glenda Jackson, which was nominated for uh, two BAFTA Awards last week, one for Best Actress and one for Best Single Film. And by the time this episode's out, the results of the BAFTAs will have come in as well, so who knows? And yeah, Elizabeth is missing if they're able to check it out on iPlayer or wherever. Is yeah. it available anywhere in the States or not yet? No, not, 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 at, at, not at the moment, but it is available on iPlayer, BBC iPlayer. We're hoping that it will be shown in America sometime later in the year or early next year. I really enjoyed it because I wasn't sure entirely going into it as to what it was going to be like and what it was about, but it was a, a real emotional journey and it, it had that sort of intimate feel that you don't get so often with many films. No, and I think it's also, it was a very loved novel, you know, when it came out, written by Emma Healy, it's her first novel and I think she was inspired to write it uh, because her grandmother, I believe, suffered from uh, dementia and it kind of, that's, you know inspired her to write it and it was a very successful novel in 2014 when it came out very well loved by people so equally so you know we had that with the film you know there were people obviously who are huge fans of the novel that then wanted to see the film oh remember right are these minutes that i've sent over are your first experiences yes is your first experience with about time <laughs> yes yes so it, i mean it's a, it's a fun few an interesting few minutes when you don't have the rest of the context of the film. It's always great when we have someone on who hasn't seen yeah. the film. So, I mean, what, what, uh, just for the listeners, if you haven't said, we're looking at minute 116 and 117 today with a little nudge to 115 and a tiny bit of 118 because it's a weird week on this show. And <laughs> we needed to give you a little bit of context for, for the montage. But I mean, did you know much about what the film was about at all or was this? No, complete... not at all. You know, I knew some of the actors in it. I've worked with Tom Hollander. He played Dylan Thomas in a film that I did that actually I won a BAFTA for in 2013 and he won a Royal Television Society Award for Best Actor. So no, it's not. I mean, of course I know Richard Curtis's films, but I haven't, I, I haven't seen that film. This is one of the lesser known ones, but I genuinely, I, I, I believe it to be his best. It's, it kind of slipped under the radar a bit. I think because everyone expected it to just be a normal rom-com. So the fact that it had time travel and whatnot in it kind of people. Yeah. I like that. I like the idea that, you know, Donald Gleason, uh, narrated and, and obviously in the few minutes that I watched, which are towards the end of the film, yeah. you get an idea of, of that time travel and maybe he has the chance to put some things right or experience things again mm. or look at things in a different way. I like that a lot, actually. And so over these minutes, we've got Ben Fold's brilliant song, The Luckiest and it opens with him singing, the stumbles and falls brought me here. And it is Tim leaves Mary alone in bed and Tim carrying. Oh, Robert, I see you've got, you've managed to get the name for the, for the one year old child. They're credited, yeah. They're credited, that's good. Cause it's weird, cause they're, 
Only one of the kids in the film is actually named, but they're all named characters in the credits, which is good. Which is Joe. And actually, Robert, you're on visuals. Like This far into the show, you'd think I'd remember. This is one of your weeks, I think. <laughs> yeah, montage. But I loved all of that. I loved that lovely family kind of thing and done with the, you know, because you see he's carrying down one child, then you see another, then you see actually the daughter coming down who eventually, you know, he brings to school and you just think, oh, that's what Richie Curtis does so well, you know, those family scenes and things look as though they're just happening, but I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're very well thought about and very well rehearsed. It's like that montage that you, you know, we go into, I think it's 117, all of those great people out in the street and, you know, it starts with the, the kids in the, in the Lido and, um, you know, the girls with the two white dogs, which are amazing and, and then, you know, Tom Holland coming out and getting, uh, that bottle or, you know, mm, into, the trash uh, into, into the trash can, you know, um, but that's what, you know, it's just that lovely feeling of atmosphere, you know, and that idea that here's, you know, Donald Gleason's character watching it all and, you know, taking it all in. It's rather nice. Mm. So, so for sort of brief context with the film, all the men in Tim's family, Tim played by Donald, are able to travel back in their lifetime. And towards, and his dad basically te- teaches him that to go back and live each day twice. Once to experience all the stresses and the second time just to watch it and appreciate how wonderful life is. And so at this point in this montage, I think as he said in 115, he just decides to live each day as if he's chosen to go back to that day. And I mean, that, according to Richard Curtis, was where the idea for the film started. The idea of if you could have the choice, you know, if you knew you had one day left on Earth, you wouldn't choose a wonderful, spectacular day. You'd choose a normal day. And it's about how important and wonderful the normality of life is. And it, it is such a... I mean, you don't, you won't have it as much <laughs> with this being your first experience with the scenes, but this I'm, I'm normally already majorly in tears throughout the film. And this point, I feel like every shot in the montage just makes me cry more. Even Tom Hollander throwing the bottle in the bin. It's just... I don't know why, but that always... That that little smile he gives at the end, when how how relieved it, it that always just makes me oh. So, um, Robert, would you like to explain everything in the montage? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think even before we get to the details, Ashley, you wouldn't know this, but this is sort of an echo of the beginning of the film because he starts by describing his family, so with his parents and his sister, their like rituals that every day they have tea out on the beach behind their house and they watch movies was it every week projected onto the wall of the house. And I can imagine this scene is maybe how every morning goes. He gets up, gets the kids ready, walks Posey to school, and then he goes to work. Because Mary probably still does some of her work from home. She had an office in the house we've seen earlier. So it's nice. It's a nice echo. I think the one thing which was commented on... I can't remember who said it. It was one of the guests we had on at some point. (laughs) Long line of guests. Who said that they were surprised at this point that we don't see Charlotte in this scene. So Charlotte, played by Margot Robbie, appears twice in the film, but is a significant character that people sort of thought it, that they'd expected that she'd be here too. Because I think that would have been what would have separated it from feeling like a cameo. Because yeah. Margot Robbie's scenes, although she wasn't famous at that point, Wolf of Wall Street was like a few months later. She's in two five-minute scenes that feel like two cameos. So I feel like if we just had a little glimpse of her at the end, it would have been like like she was a proper member of the cast. Yeah, we yeah. get Joanna, who we haven't seen in like half an hour in this yeah. montage. Yeah, no, Charlotte. 
And Harry as well, who... Mm-hmm. I mean, Harry is, is, is great. Harry's bit is brilliant, but how much is Harry actually in the film? Well, he has a whole little subplot, so that makes him more of a thing. Charlotte's was so early in the film, it's not... She's lesser. So I think well, he does, can... Yeah, he does that in quite a lot of his films, doesn't he? He has somebody amazing come in and they play a few scenes and then, you know, disappear and mm. you're kind of wondering whether they're going to come back or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the casting directors made amazing choices with this film. Like, we've got, you know, Margot Robbie, Vanessa Kirby, Donald Gleeson. Like, these are all people who weren't very well known when the film came out. And then yeah. I would say I hope it was partially due to this film, but because this film didn't do as well as it could have done, I think they just genuinely happened to choose some amazing cast members that happened to go on to bigger. And I think also, you know, people want to work with him as a director, you know, mm. with Curtis as a director because of his other films and, you know, a lot of the films that he's written, I think they're very happy probably to come in and play a few very significant scenes yeah. in the story of the film. Mm. I guess the question is, of what of the Richard Curtis works you've seen, Ashling, do you have a standout favourite or do they all sort of mould into one? No, they are, you know, they, they, they are, no, I mean, you know, everybody loves Love Actually. Mm. Um, and, you know, Four Weddings. They're the two that I probably know best of all. And, you know, I think what's interesting with his films when you kind of look back and, and you've seen them, you know, he, he writes incredibly good roles for women, actually. Yeah. If you think of all of those films, you know, they're, they're really rather interesting roles for, for women in his films always. I think definitely. Uh, weirdly, it's been both a compliment and a criticism we've seen. Like, we tend to do a segment each Monday in each Monday episode. This will be a Monday, so we'll do it at some point later today. Wherein we go and try and find, we look at a bad review for this film and look at what people's issues were with it when it came out. And some people love how he writes women and other people hate it. And I think what it is, is he, it's not obvious. He, he gives these characters depth. Like, Mary, isn't in this scene much, in the film, that much Rachel McAdams' character, really. Although the film seems to centre around her as, like, one of the leads, we don't see as much of her as you'd expect. But in those little moments, especially through analysing this, like, me and Robert have noticed that her character is so well-formed and so consistent. But that's what he does. He gives them a kind of complexity that, Mm. you know, you can, you know, relate to. Or, I mean, maybe everybody doesn't see it like that. I think he gives them quite an amount of depth, you know, it's interesting, and that's how you get those actors to play those roles, and very often they're actors that you don't necessarily think about first off, would you have thought about Rachel McAdams in that film? Probably not. Margot Robbie, probably not. Vanessa Kirby, maybe, and that's why I think they want to be in his film. Yeah, there are so many actors who I think would just jump at the opportunity to be asked to work with Richard Curtis. I am definitely, when things get back up and running, if I hear Richard's doing a film, I am definitely getting in contact and saying, like, can I be an extra? Can I be a runner? Because just the foot, like, the, the little clips that you see of what it's like behind the scenes, it's just fun. <laughs> it just looks like everyone's having a really good time. Yeah. And as I said, you know, all of those things that are kind of grabbed moments, somebody observing this case, this case, Donald Gleason observing the day, and maybe we've seen hints of that earlier. Maybe he's looking at things in a different way. They look as though they're grabbed. They're not. They're kind of beautifully set up and then mm. kind of made to look as though they're moments that are just 
grabbed, you know, that's what he does so brilliantly. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the other question is, you being actually the first Irish person we've had on here, what do you think of Donald's British accent? It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's not something, it's not something actually that I think Irish people do very well. It goes against our kind of pattern of speaking in a way. Like we do American much easier somehow. Uh, I often think there's a lot of Irish and American, like in New York. Yeah, definitely. So he does it, he does it very well actually. He's played English quite a few times now and actually does it rather well. You see, this was the first film I saw Donal in. And obviously, now looking back at it, his name's obvious that he's Irish. But I hadn't realised, like, I saw the film, and it wasn't until I think I saw interviews with him and stuff that it was like, oh, he's Irish. And then since then, watching things like Frank and Goodbye Christopher Robin, he manages to do really different British accents, all accents that feel like good British accents. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. no, no, yeah, no, it's it, because... It doesn't, sometimes it sort of holds us back a bit because it's against, as I say, against sort of our kind of pattern or our way of speaking, but actually he does it very, very well. And a lot of younger actors also do it very well now because it's something that we've all had more experience of. 20 years ago was maybe kind of a different thing. And he does it, and also he plays American really well. So it's just something yeah. that we've got better at. So Robert, what have we got for the rest of 116 on visuals. I can't remember where you got up to. I didn't get to any of them. Well, we already mentioned that he brings down Joe. Jeff's already at the table. He puts Joe in the high chair. And... I love how he feeds the children. The little yeah. Child. yeah. And, and it's, he's, it's the way he's, he's cooking speaks. something. Yeah, it's a pancake, flipping a pancake or yeah. a, an omelette that's uh, obviously about to be burnt or has burnt already. But yeah. Yeah. He says yeah. it's fine. And he's playing, like, the little airplane game of food for the baby, which is normal. And then he calls Posey down, and she gets, like, yeah. she comes down the stairs. She's probably got herself ready, because she's five now. So we're definitely in 2013 now in the movie. Because, yeah, we we talked a few times about how I, th- I keep forgetting that this film takes place over, like, what, nine years, was it? Yeah. Yeah, so this is the most 2013 <laughs> part here. And we've got little bits of dialogue where you hear him saying, Hello, oh, you're down already, that's great. Thank you so much for that. And in we go. And it's just, yeah, it, I mean, it, it it just feels, the little mutters that we hear of it is just so real that it's just... My my favourite bit of dialogue in this minute, I think, is right when he puts Posey down outside the school. And you don't hear her line, but he says, when will I see you again? This evening. So it's like, she asked him, when will I see you? <laughs> Which is really sweet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it just all looks so seamless and all looks as though mm-hmm. it's happening in the moment. You know, you wonder what, you know, I often wonder in those kind of scenes, what take were they on? How did they, it's quite a lot of things that have to kind of happen. You know, the child has to be fed the pancake. They may be separate yeah. shots. It just feels as though it's yeah. all happening in the moment. That's what he does so well as a director, you know? Well, he even makes Posey being more of a dork than Tim ever was. Like, she waves goodbye three times. Oh, but that feels so real. Right, he makes that feel like, like I, it's okay. Yeah. I feel like I might have done that, or I know when I was <laughs> that young, I know people who did. Like, it's just a thing. It just, I don't know. It's, that that moment I had some sort of emotional hit for me that I couldn't quite yeah. figure out what it was. Well, it, it also, it's, it's kind of Tim's sort of dorkiness and Mary did that little wave after she first met Tim as well. I was just going to say that. When she was yeah, walking it's away. Like, so it's, it's like, it's like Posey's a mix of the two of them. 
It's like the whole chat we had about how, well, this film being about love, but about all kinds of love, being family yeah. love and friend love. But we talked about with rom-coms about the idea that if she looks, you know, if if she turns back after you walk away, yeah, then you got the then girl. It's meant to be. So it's almost that with family love, the idea that she keeps turning away to see him. Yeah, she yeah, turns back. She even leaves into the next hallway and comes back for that third one. Mm. And then he yeah. starts narrating as she's over the waves. Which, mm. that she Have we got anything before we see her at school, actually? Because we went from the house to the school. No, because the, the montage no. of all the strangers and stuff comes after she's at school. Yes. Yeah. So Tim says, We're all travelling through time together, every day of our lives, and all we can do is our best to relish this remarkable ride. Which is, I mean, that it's, it's good that the that that line actually finishes on one sixteen. Oh, and Robert, I already see you made note of one of my <laughs> one of my main points <laughs> for next minute. That's fine. So, are we, are we ready to go straight into one seventeen? Yeah. 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 So we. I see, Robert. It's your That's me, your yeah. visuals again. <laughs> Back to and, you. And because the listeners would know, I've been obsessing about locations. This minute bothered me because so many of those locations, I have no idea where they are because they're so up close. The listeners may also be interested, I guess we can say it, whereas normally each week we have one guest on for the whole week, today we're recording one episode with Ashling, and Wednesday's episode will be with the location manager for about time, so we get to ask him these questions. Yes, because we get... I think uh, it's just the feeling of, you know, that day yeah. passing. I kind of wonder myself, having, obviously I'm coming from not seeing the film, but even at that, looking at that montage, I'm thinking, I wonder where that is, is that near the school, how has he got the... Where, what is that journey of wherever mm-hmm. he's going and you see him on his phone, don't you, towards the end? So I took it as all being part of a day or parts of a day that he's sort of revisiting. Yeah. You know, from yeah. school, he kind of goes somewhere and whatever. And then somehow Tom Hollander's character comes into it rather beautifully. And you're not sure, is he there watching him or is that something he's seen? It does, it's rather magical. I didn't, or I did ask myself, oh, are these places that are familiar to us are those girls in the park with the two white dogs is this something that we've seen are they two people that we've seen walking down the street or do you know what i mean in the neighborhood whatever it is but you just go with the because you're listening to him his sort of narration and you just sort of go Mm. with it really some are and some aren't which i think is what most of them are strangers that have not been characters in the film but i think it makes it work because it's yeah. yeah, it's expanding the story. I think it's great, and I think it, what we said before about locations—they've been pretty consistent for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think the main the main issue you had was that they go to a train station the, right. from Mary's house, which is like two miles away. But even that, I forgive at the end of the film because the last shot is the exterior of that actual station, so it's nice. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, the locations have been pretty close to each other, and you can imagine the walking mm-hmm. distance and the boots. They're all near Notting Hill and Hyde Park. So you've got the kids playing in the fountain, mm-hmm. a girl making a basket in the park, and then the note, which I noticed we both had, Robert, yeah. is that Rory, one of the characters in the film, is seeing sit on a park bench reading the book Trash by Andy Mulligan, which yeah. was the next screenplay Richard Curtis wrote, which I'm halfway through watching at the moment. Have you seen it, Robert, or Ashling? I have have you seen No, it? I haven't. No. It's mostly in Brazilian Portuguese. Which huh. is weird. It was a bit of a surprise, and it doesn't feel like a Richard Curtis film at all. It's a, it's a good film, but it was kind of like, okay, it's a movie about crime in, and it's all spoken in a different language, 
why on earth did they ask Richard Curtis to write this script? <laughs> Maybe he decided he'd do something so different. Maybe he yeah. just really loved the book. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Although isn't Rory's laughing while he's reading the book, right? Yeah. Yes. There's Is not, it not a comedy. Anything... There's no. <laughs> it's really, really dark. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's poor kids that on a on like working on a trash heap that find a wallet full of money and they get told that this wallet's worth something, but if they don't hand it over, they end up getting like tortured and whatnot. So what's he laughing at? I mean, I haven't read, I haven't watched the whole film, but I haven't had a single moment in the film that I've laughed at. <laughs> no. Maybe there's some questions here about Rory. Yeah, yeah I mean, production-wise, maybe he had no idea what book they gave him, and he just Rory laughing is a better visual than Rory looking sad. Yeah, Rory and and sad. from from, from the, the school, school moment onwards, onwards most, most of this was shot while, while Richard Curtis was ill, and Emma Freud stood in to direct, stood in to direct it. it. So maybe she so didn't maybe know. She didn't know. <laughs> Or is maybe this what she did as the montage? Tried, yeah, this was... So this was for the last yeah. days. And they may have tried a few things. And, mm. you yeah. know, she said, well, do one that's serious, one that's funny, one that's, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and then you pick the order in editing, so it's... Yes. I mean, the book might be funny, I don't know, but the film yeah. so far isn't. Um, so what did she direct? A few days or just a... Day? Uh, just this one day, as far okay. as I'm aware. Hang on, Emma said something to me about this the other day. She said, my favourite day was the last day of the shoot, which happened to be this scene. So it's nice they did the last bit chronologically. When Richie got ill and I directed it instead of him. Does she mean Does she mean him with Posey? It seemed to be from about the school moment onwards, Richard Curtis said, I didn't direct any of this. Yeah. So, so that, just those moments. Well, actually, it's rather beautiful. And, and not as bad as we thought earlier that she took over directing either because this is kind of second unit stuff so she'd be okay with it yeah it <laughs> it's works. not like a violation of union rules necessarily and maybe because she's associate producer right. as well she can jump in on that stuff might be some lenience on there yeah and as, as it's such a family thing as we said before i don't think even if there was like a legal issue anyone would exactly. have picked up a fuss because they yeah. would know emma <laughs> they'd know the the production was my... you know those scenes are hard to do sometimes they're Sometimes the hardest thing to do, you know, you're just looking for one more. This is the little girl in the white kind of cream coloured ballet dress. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, those moments are really hard to get sometimes. Yeah. And you, yeah, and you don't know how they fit yet, but you have to no. make sure they're useful yes. and evocative. Next one we get is some, a couple people kissing on a balcony. And then we get Kit Kat and Jay putting a baby in a shopping cart. They seem happy. But the baby's wearing purple. It is. <laughs> Kit Kat is still wearing purple, but she has it covered. Her jumper covers the purple shirt. Bet, so she and the baby bet, match as well. I bet it's Jay who's just telling her to hide the purple. In this no, suit. he's also wearing kind of purple. His <laughs> suit is a little purple. So They're sharing the purple. Yeah, yeah, it's the family of purple now. And then we get a bike in the skate park, which that was one of the few locations I could get here. Probably Action Park. I'm not sure. But. A lot of this second unit stuff, as well as Emma Freud, was shot by Nikki Kentish Barnes. Yeah. Uh, which is just a note that I had. Oh, he's one of the producers. Yeah, yeah. he's he's in the credits that come up before the roll. There you go. And he's he's produced Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, so he's worked with Richard since. Mm. Well, that, does that count as working with Richard? Because Richard kind of just provided the story. Still counts, I guess. It's still, yeah. yeah. As a producer, yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. And I think we talked about Scarlett Curtis a few times on here. I'm pretty sure she came up with most of the story from Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again as well. Uh, there we go. We see the business guy lying on the stone wall. Yep. I keep reading your notes, Robert. That's you can... fine. 
on the fountain. Then we get the two, two women, women with their dogs. dogs, which Ashley, you already mentioned. Yeah, they're lovely. Yeah, and then we get Harry coming out of the convenience store and in his robe, and he tosses the bottle over his shoulder yeah. and then celebrates when he goes into the yeah. trash. I wonder how many times they did that. Eighteen. Eighteen. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of knew it was him by the way he walked, you know, you just sort of know. <laughs> yeah. I wonder did he get the bottle in every time. I think you're the you're the second person who had on who's worked with Tom Hollander. Harry almost hits the passerby with his bag first, and then yeah, we get the nurses. Oh, that's uh, right. They're hospital. good. Yeah, they're they're yeah. They're having um, a good time. Yeah. I, I imagine that this is like all the stuff Tim saw on like his lunch break. Because these are all people like taking a break. Yeah, during his day, yeah. on his way to work or from that, you just yeah, and it's a way of kind of revisiting that. These are the yeah, things you these do are the see things he sees during the day. You know, whether it's first thing in the morning or at lunchtime or you know on his wander about or whatever. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's great, and I am actually quite impressed, Ashling, with how how you managed to recognize watching that clip back with Tom Hollander. It's 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 impressive that you've managed to recognize him for such a brief moment. But then I guess we work with him. Well, you know, well, because I've worked with him, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I kind of thought, gosh, that looks like Tom. Yeah. I know that walk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Tom Holland does genuinely seem like a really nice guy from what I've seen and heard of him, which is re- weird considering how many nasty people he plays. <laughs> I always find it weird whenever I see him in anything where he's being nice after him being. He's very, very horrible in this film, but kind of, Love to hate horrible. Yeah, he's fabulous. Yeah. So I forgot what you, well, I forgot what you said. What it's called? What was the project you'd worked with Tom on before then? It called a poet in New York, a film about Dylan Thomas. So he played Dylan Thomas, the Welsh poet, and the film was really about the last year of his life. He died in New York. He went to New York to perform uh, one of his most famous pieces of work called Under Milkwood. He was on a on a tour out there and. and died in a hospital in New York, collapsed in the Chelsea Hotel and died. He he was drinking a lot of the time. Um, Caitlin Thomas's wife wasn't with him. Uh, She had been with him on a previous tour and visit to well New York and actually on from there they did a tour out to, you know, a few states. And she wasn't this time. She always said, you know, she'd been with him. That wouldn't have happened. But you know, he eventually arrived over and he, he died in hospital in New York, yeah. And where can our listeners find that to watch? Is there a go-to place to find that? I think you find it on, on I think you find it on YouTube, actually. Um, huh? And I, the amazing thing with Tom is that, you know, in order to, you know, become Dylan, he put on two stone and weight, which is amazing. And, you know, had just a really you know, just became so like him and that Welsh accent and that way of speaking and he was incredible. Chain smoker and, you know, drinker stood sort of performing his work and a glass of whiskey in one hand and a cigarette in the other. So, no, as I said, he won the Royal Television Society Award for that performance. And actually one thing we haven't talked about is if there are any listeners who are a similar age to me and are living in England, then they have like very likely seen on repeat your adaptation of Inspector Calls. Yes. Which was... yes. Yeah, which I did in 2015, 16, 15, I think. 15. Yeah. And I didn't, well, because in Ireland, you know, we didn't study that at, at school because 
people do it here for G- GCSE, am I right? I think. Yeah. And actually, that version of it has been seen quite a bit in schools. Um, I remember the film. There's a film made in the kind of 50s. Is it the Alice Sim one? Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. Um, and your one. I like them both <laughs> really and, well. Um, so it was interesting to... Just when you kind of read it and you see how, you know, it was so relevant when I read it that day in 2015, the script came. I read the play. It's quite a short play, actually. And it was, you know, there's a huge sort of relevance to it. How people, you know, when you don't, how a series of events changes this young woman's life, if indeed it is the same woman. I mean, you know, visually in the film it is because you need to see her. Obviously in the play and, you know, when it's performed in in the theatre, I don't think you see her because he shows everybody a picture of her. It's all relevant to whatever their story is or whoever they think it is in their life. But in in both the film made in the 50s and in the person I made, this is, it is the one young woman. Um, so it's um, who's played by Sophie Rundle, whose people will know Peaky Blinders. I, was say, I, I know her mostly. She was in episodes for a bit. With Matt LeBlanc and I don't remember who else. I think she was only in it for a couple of episodes, but yeah, it was like, she loses herself in, in spectacle, in the role in the spectacles. And the same with, you got Miranda Richardson and Ken Stott and I, half of these people I didn't realise were them until way after watching the film. So yeah. I think David Toulis, yeah. Finn Cole, Kyle Soller, you know, some, yeah, some interesting piece to do. Is it, is any spectacles known in the States at all? I'd heard of it, but I I don't know why, okay. so I don't think so. It's one of the few things which we studied for GCSE that I actually really enjoyed and still yeah. enjoy. <laughs> it's nice. And that and is actually, available for free on Amazon Prime, so maybe I'll watch it. It really does. It, you know, it's interesting that it's done at GCSE level here still, because, mm. you know, you talk to people, you know, who, who, who've seen it as part of the curriculum and I actually remember lending uh, my various sort of DVDs on to people in the neighbourhood with their teenage kids who all came back and said how much they, you know, really affected them and they really got what it was about. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting to... Anyway, where were we in in about time? Little girl, which we've already talked about, really dress. And then we get Joanna talking on the phone at work. That's right. And then... Try and eat a donut while she does so. Yeah. Uh, I get another couple on another balcony. We get some old couple at like a farmer's market or flea market. I think part of that old couple is, I got a note, Kate Freud, a member of their family. Wow. I, I mean, it might be the couple that was beforehand. It was around the middle point between those two moments that Richard Kirsten in the commentary said, and there was Kate Freud. So I was like, I don't know which one it is. So either it's a young person or an older person. Once again, it's nice that they get so much of their family involved in this film. Yes. I think pretty much yeah, all. Of I only them just noticed that five-month-old Jeff was played by Jago Freud. So well, probably. Yeah. So they do bring their family in. Mm-hmm. It's it's nice because yeah, we have uh, loads of the extras. Well, several extras in this scene in this film are Richard Curtis's kids. So Charlie Curtis plays a young version of Tim. We have a couple. His other sons are in like a wedding scene. And his daughter, Scarlett Curtis, appears in a photograph as a woman that Tim once slept with, which is an odd, <laughs> an odd moment. Um, so. Back to you for the end of the minute, Luke. Oh, yeah. What, with Joanna? Or with Tim? With Mary. Oh, we've done Joanna. 
We've done Joanna saying yes, yes, yes. And so we'll slide ever so slightly in this 117 into 118 because we get about three seconds <laughs> of the film before the end credits yeah. in 118. That it felt pointless to do 118 as a separate <laughs> minute, really, on Wednesday. We'll touch well, on we it a can, little bit. We can bit. talk about it next time, yeah, but. Yeah. So, uh, Mary says, oh, they're both on the phone. Mary says, okay, I'll see you then. Tim says, bye bye. And they're both walking and see you later. And we cut to black. And that's, <laughs> that's the film. Near enough, Robert. We've done it. Yeah. Yeah. How did that happen? Determination and spare time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lockdown. Lockdown, true, yeah. It's It's got to have been, I think, recording for about seven hours each week, plus editing, and yeah. This has been life. <laughs> <laughs> and this episode is October, November time, so yeah. I mean, have we got any final comments on 116 and 117 before we go on to our other segments? I, I mean, I've got to go and watch the film now. Yeah. As far as the visuals, it's nice that I believe Mary is walking to the right, or fa- like facing that way, and Tim's walking to the left, so it's like they're walking toward each other. So. That's nice. Actually, I it's forgot a, this episode. Conversation. That was her. I forgot this episode was a Monday episode. So, uh, on Mondays now, as of it's a last week, we could skip bad things. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> we'll read a good one as well. We'll balance it out. We look at bad reviews, because the film didn't do so well, although we love it. And we very rarely get the balanced opinion as to why other people don't. So we go up to the maximum rating of... Let's go to the maximum rating of a half. Let's be... Let's have really bad and really good. These reviews are read for comic purposes. Now the views of the reviewer, not the podcast host. The reviewer's name is removed to avoid any unnecessary hate or spamming. Right. Okay. I don't think I've read this one. I always knew I was going to hate this film. I mean, Richard Curtis, need I say more? But... Out of ill-advised curiosity, I checked out the first five minutes and another ten, and so later on, while going about my business in the house, and yikes, it was... Well, if you're watching it while going about your business in the house, don't worry. <laughs> while going about the business in the house, and yikes, it was worse than anything I could have ever imagined. Our insufferable, quirky, posh people actually endearing to anyone who isn't an absolute imbecile. Every line of dialogue made me want to die, and above all, why do so many films, and this one in particular, revolve around this insane idea that the epitome of romanticism is a loser, ooh, he's a bit lanky and has red hair, wow, what a freak. Being a rich, straight white man is so hard, guys. Doggedly <laughs> harassing a woman he's infatuated with, and eventually tricking her into reciprocating with a mixture of stalking and incredibly creaky, creepy manipulativeness. And we've talked <laughs> about the fact that, although he is Phil Connoring her, yeah. like... It's fine because we know she already loves him. Right. And we won't go too far into spoilers for you, Ashling, for if and when you do watch it. But it's... I think people can think of it as stalking until you look more in depth and think, actually, it's accepted by the film. <laughs> and it's... Accept- but it's, it's, it's a trope of rom-com anyway, the stalker. And this yeah. seems to work a lot better in this film than in others. So shall we balance it out with a little nice review as well? Sure. Let's find a five-star review. Unless, Robert, you want to give us your own five-star review. I don't have my writing about this film open right now. No, I don't know where... <laughs> right, so we can we can do our, we can both write our own reviews for one of the last episodes, because I haven't figured out exactly how we're finishing this. Okay, so let's go for the top one. Oh, wow, someone literally says what I've said on the show all along. Someone just wrote a review and said, this is the film equivalent of a warm hug. There we go, that's literally what I've been saying the whole time. Here's Which a, is nice a, at the moment, a warm hug. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perf I think it's the perfect film to watch during this whole lockdown period. I'm trying to find a, a good length review. 
That's fine. This one looks like it could be good. Haven't read it yet. It could be awful. Uh, you know when you hear a song in the right moment? Like maybe you hear a song about heartbreak when you're going through one and you relate to it. Maybe you've heard the same song under different circumstances. You wouldn't have paid attention to it. I'm not in my best moments right now, or I wasn't in my best moment. 123 minutes ago, I felt lonely and sad for weeks, like I'm missing something. Even when I was having fun, I would find things to bother about. So today, while I was at my phone doing nothing and thinking about everything I could be doing, this film started playing on TV. I absolutely loved it. I loved watching it next to my mum. I loved watching it this moment in my life. I really needed a sign. Something to tell me, wake up, enjoy every minute, every sunny day and every rainy day, every film... Every song, every friend, and every travel. Even if it isn't the best, it's something. I'm probably making no sense right now, but in conclusion, this film was life-changing. There you go. That is an amazing review. Yeah. I mean, should should we go with one more good one to to be nice, or should we leave it here? Nah, we'll do a good one next week. We'll do a good one. Yeah, okay. So, Ashling, if you could go back in time to any moment in your life to either relive or change something, what moment in your life would you choose? Wow. You know, I don't, uh, I don't know. What would I choose to change? You know, probably quite a bit. I don't, you know, it's funny because I don't, uh, ever really regret or sort of look back. And I, you know, I think of all the decisions I've made and they're probably, you know, all right at the time. I don't know, probably way back in my childhood somewhere, you know, I, it, that's kind of a possible to answer for me, I have to say. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can't kind of think of a moment. I mean, I, I, you know, there are moments I'd love to revisit again. Um, you know, when I was a kid and those fabulous long kind of days and summers and stuff. There's some days you kind of sit here and think I would love to go back there to when you were kind of six or seven year old. No kind of worries in the world. No idea of what was going on, but to consciously go back and, and kind of pick a time that I would change. I don't know if I'd change anything. Mm. I think that makes sense. And that's actually, as you see sort of here, one of the end morals of the film really is. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, that you don't need to. And how to just appreciate the little things. And so, it's a, it's a good way to finish off one of our last moments of, of the film. Yeah. You know, and so, it's interesting yeah. too in this lockdown time, you know, how you people have become, you just become very aware of how you can live with very little. Yeah. How do you need to be content? I think that's kind of interesting. So, I mean, we've, we've talked a bit about some of your films. Have you got anything specific to promote? Anything? No, you know, it's interesting in this time of, of lockdown because we can't film. So people are really developing things, spending a lot of time writing and developing things and trying to move projects along. So I think we're looking at quite a few months away before I start on anything else. That's for sure. Things are at very early stages, so that's why it's quite nice with Elizabeth is missing, but it's still, we won best television at the Banff Television Festival in Canada last night. Uh, so yes. those kind of things are rather lovely in this period where you don't, where you're really spending quite a lot of time on your own. But really I'm, I'm writing and also, you know, keeping going with other projects I'm involved in. Yeah. That's all we can do at the minute. I can't see, for me, I'm talking about me personally, how I might film anything really for the rest of the year. You know, things may have changed by the autumn. I think we just have to wait and see. I mean, as soon as this show is officially wrapped up, I need, I'm need. i going to try and put weeks aside to writing because I've been meaning to do it for ages. And this is... Yeah. this is I, would, I say this has got in the way, but that's not a bad thing. Like, the things this has led to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, just today, 
a guest we had on the show a few weeks ago as this episode will come out is a musician who did a song that was featured in this film and I was just chatting with him showed him a video of one of my school of my school choir doing uh, Elton John's I'm Still Standing he then sent Elton John that video and Elton's now offered us all free guest tickets to whenever his next show is and wow. the video is going kind of he recorded a response which was great. yeah he recorded a response video and it's going I mean there are the things everywhere. that so sort of happen beautiful I did very well, which is how I met you, Luke. I did um, these sort of sessions an hour a day in the morning, actually. I thought I might do one a week on a Friday evening, and I got such a response from people, I ended up doing it every day. But people just getting into, on Skype, talking about their projects, see if I could help them or advise them or maybe look at their films or whatever it was. And, and I met a lot of really great people that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Yeah, I think there's definitely been some good things coming out of this. I mean, like, as a filmmaker, my biggest, I think I said to you actually, my biggest influence has been Richard Curtis. So yeah. the fact that now we do this show, Richard Curtis listens to the show, Does he? recorded an intro for the show, sent us signed pictures, and basically, overall, knows who we are, which is just wouldn't have happened, and the Elton John thing wouldn't have happened, and yeah. goodness knows what else could have happened by the time this episode's out. No, yeah. that's great. Just, yeah. Good. So, Ashling, where can our listeners find you on social media? Well, I mean, I'm on me, Ashling Walsh, on Twitter and Facebook. So they can find me there, Instagram. And Robert, where can our listeners find you? Robert E.G. Black on social media or lemmingdrops.com for links to everything. Just a reminder, on that website you'll find a link to the store, which includes our Graham Curry fan club shirt and our Two Minutes About Time shirt. Listeners can find me on Facebook at Luke Allen Film, Twitter at Llama underscore Bottle Zero, Instagram at Ginger Luke. All podcasts, radio prints, newspaper articles, anything I'm involved in, short films are all at lukealland.co.uk. This show is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Two Minutes About Time. We're on IMDb at Two Minutes About Time. On top of that, we do your Facebook group, The Cupboard, and oh, done it again, Robert. We tend to end each episode with a random, interesting way to say goodbye. So, Ashling, do you know of any interesting goodbyes? Oh, yes. Don't know that one. Sounds good. Real Irish. The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. <laughs> <laughs>